I'm Curtis Schaefer. And I'm Martine Halverson-Taylor. And this is Sacred and Profane, a show about how religion affects all sorts of decisions that we make in our daily lives. Today, we're highlighting documentary work done by students here at the University of Virginia in an ongoing series we call Field Notes. Graduate student Kevin Rose studies how religion intersects with our fossil fuel-based economy. In our first season, he helped us tell the story of a Hare Krishna community in West Virginia, which was faced with the decision to allow fracking on their land. And now he's brought us this story of a Christian camp dedicated to seeking a more environmentally sustainable future, but unable to extract itself from our unsustainable present. It's a typically busy weekday morning at Osabel Institute for Environmental Studies. Students from Christian colleges around the country are buzzing around this camp in northern Michigan, packing mosquito nets and scientific instruments into big vans as they get ready for ecology classes out in the woods and wetlands around the camp. My name is Emily, and this class is Field Techniques in Wetlands, so that basically means we go stand in water and we look at some trees and we look at some dirt and we say, oh yes, this is in fact a wetland. For Emily and the few dozen other college students taking summer classes with her, Asabel offers a chance to complete some science credit hours while exploring the connection between their faith and the environment. The technical term for this kind of place would be a biological field station but it's one that's set aside specifically for evangelical college kids. I grew up trying to install recycling programs at my elementary school. Like, it it started at a very young age, and it's always been very intricately tied into my Christian faith, which is really cool coming to Asabel and kind of getting my first glimpse of what a broader environmental Christian community looks like. From the outside, Asabel looks like a pretty typical summer camp. There's a dining hall, a few cabins for campers, and a lodge for evening social events. Everything's surrounded by these dense, tall pines so that you can't always see the next building over, even if it's a stone's throw away. But over the last few decades, Asabel has come to serve as something much more than a summer camp. It's been amazing. You have so much in common with everybody. Just everybody's on the same page, and we're all super excited about the environment. Today, you could call Asabel a crown jewel for evangelical Christian ecology. Students from the major evangelical colleges around the country come here each summer to explore the link between their faith and the environment. What those students don't immediately know, and what Asabel's founders couldn't have predicted back when they started it, was that there was something else bubbling beneath the surface that would link faith and the environment in a more complicated way. One of the most productive oil supplies in the region was right under their feet. When a high school science teacher named Harold Snyder founded Asable Trails in the 1960s, he envisioned it as a summer camp where elementary school boys could explore the link between the Christian God and the woods around them. As one of Snyder's co-founders put it, Asable at that time was focused less on full-fledged Christian ecology 
and more on hikes in the woods singing hymns about God's creation. My name is Bert Froisland. So when I met Harold Snyder, he was trying to start Osable Trails Camp for Youth, a camp for boys, which combined what was then called conservation and Christianity. And in the first few years, we just had boys from, I don't know, 10 to 13. And we had pretty much a typical camp program. And Harold, of course, taught the classes. You might call them nature classes. I got a letter from Amoco Oil Company one day because I was the treasurer and the business manager saying we would like to explore, do some seismic testing for oil under those 80 acres. We'll Bert ended up playing a key role with all the this. Right to do that. Amico's letter oil, said it could offer a one-eighth royalty, one eighth or 12 but Bert called up royalty, an acquaintance who worked for a much smaller company, standard Peninsular Oil in Grand Rapids. Orders, he invited Peninsular to come do some drilling instead, and in the end, he negotiated a one-fifth royalty with that local company. As it turned out, it was probably one of the best oil wells ever hit in Michigan. And so he harvested, you might say, lots of money from that one-fifth royalty. It was truly a godsend. And it just enabled us to take some real leadership in this Christian environmental movement. Bert, who takes a lot of personal pride in being responsible for that one-fifth royalty says he was receiving monthly checks for $50,000 in those first few years. Certainly in those days, no one was talking about climate change. This is Dave Mahan, one of the new staff that Osable was able to hire after it struck oil. Everybody was just excited it happened because Osable up to that point always never had enough money. I've always called it one of God's greatest ironies that he gave a Christian environmental facility an oil well. As a board, we've suffered from a little bit of guilt because we seem to be engaged in an enterprise which is just contrary to what's going on in the world with respect to carbon footprints. And we've never come up with a clear-cut answer as to how we can be related to the oil business in these times when there's so much concern about global warming. But we never really took any board action because we didn't know how to get out of it. But I don't think I can overstate the service we have done to God's kingdom with that money and with young people. For the young people who attend summer sessions here, those oil royalties have been crucial in creating their experience of Christian environmentalism. But as far as I could tell, none of the students I spoke with during that wetlands class even knew about the oil well yet. The camp directors do eventually explain their oil royalties to the students but they do it at the very end of their summer session, after students like Emily have had their life-changing experience of Christian environmental community. Yeah, the mosquitoes are pretty active right here. You say that like they're not active elsewhere. My, my calling is to um, glorify God through creation care. But currently at Asable, I teach their field techniques in wetlands course. That's Heath Garris, one of the professors at Osable. Since the director of communications asked me not to bring the oil up with any students, I asked Heath to talk about how the students typically find out. 
so we have integration days. We all get together and do the same sorts of things in the field. And one of the integration days last year was sitting on an abandoned oil pad on the Sopples property and considering whether or not students would come to a Sobble had they known beforehand that some of the reason why they're there and they're paying less money for it is because of the oil and gas industry. And we had students who sat there and said, oh, that's nice to know. And they, you know, then it was time for lunch. We had a few students who were pretty emotional over this. They felt like they were coming to an environmentally conscious organization that was stewarding creation in the way that they had preconceived to be the best for the organization. And they felt like this was kind of a, a violation of that. They, they had expressed wanting to have known that before they had applied and put deposits down and all that sort of thing. But th that was kind of a, a minority position. We are always at risk of being called hypocrites by virtue of the fact that we drive fossil fuel driven vans, we eat food, we make waste. Being concerned for the environment is great, but claiming that you are having no impact on the environment is a bit hypocritical. But our job is not to live carbon zero, it's to make waves so that one day we might. And sometimes that involves burning some fossil fuels. This idea that whether it was right or wrong for Asable to get involved in oil in the first place, they're stuck with the issue now no matter what, that's something I heard from several people. Now, the fact is that you're going to consume and emit a great deal of carbon-based compounds in the work of protecting God's creation. That's Fred Van Dyke, the current executive director of Asable. I asked Fred to take me out to see the well itself. So we might have to park at the gate and then walk in. Okay. Uh, that, that won't stop. Even if Asable doesn't like the idea of depending on fossil fuels, institute leadership like Fred say there's not a lot they can do about it. On the other hand, Asable still needs to maintain its identity as this evangelical environmental organization. To do that, they've developed this carefully crafted and repeatable story about where the oil comes from. The land that Harold Snyder originally bought was sold to him by a man named Louis Kleinschmidt. And the only reason we got a well is Harold had befriended a guy. Louis Kleinschmidt. Louis. Louis was not well liked in the county. He lived in a trailer in the woods. Harold befriended Louis because Harold, a genuine and evangelical Christian, wanted to share Jesus Christ with Louis because he knew Louis a local alcoholic, frankly, who was an alcoholic, needed to know Jesus Christ. Harold failed to bring him to a living faith in Jesus Christ, but he didn't fail to communicate to Louis that he loved Louis. Louis was not seen around for a while. A neighbor went to check on him at the trailer and found Louis inside dead. In the trailer, they also found that Louis had written a new will. When Louis died, he gave that 80 acres to Asable. Left us in his will 80 acres of land. He bequeathed to Asable 80 acres of land. And it was 80 acres of pretty much scrub land. It was 80 acres of small scrubby red pine. And what was discovered has been called by some the largest, most long-lasting, and most sustainable deposit of oil and natural gas in northern Michigan. 
According to this story, told again and again by the people at Asabel, no matter what you might think about the fossil fuel economy in this country, that jack pump whirring away on their land was placed there thanks to its founder's Christian love. We believe in the sovereignty of God. He put Harold Snyder here and me. Uh, he put Louis Kleinschmidt here. He put those 80 acres there. He brought the two of us together. So this legacy that was given to the Institute was a product and a direct effect of a disciple of Jesus Christ loving somebody that nobody else loved. And eventually that person responded in, in the way that he could. Even so, when they hear about it at the end of the summer, many of the students insist that the Institute should divest from the oil money. The students displayed a whole array of responses to that. Some thought, yeah, it's time to shut the well down. Others said, no, we drove the vans here. And the difference between us and maybe another field station is we're contributing to the supply for the demand that we are creating. The truth is, landowners don't always have that much sway in the matter of oil extraction. That was certainly true for Asabel in 1975. At the time, thanks to something called the rule of capture, an oil company could legally take the oil from beneath you using a well across the street. In other words, if Asabel had refused drilling on their land in the first place, that oil might have been extracted anyway. And according to Bert, Divesting from the well now could mean seeing it transferred to new owners who would probably keep it pumping. And this is not just Asabel's problem. It can be hard for all of us to see how to confront the entire fossil fuel system, and much easier to focus on personal behavior around things like consumption habits and solar panel projects. And that emphasis on personal choice meshes really well with evangelical faith, which is all about the Christian's personal relationship with God. And so for me, in learning about how the world works, it challenges me to, well, how should I live in such a way that I'm a good tender and carer of, of creation? That's Susan Wilderman, a former student who now works with Fred on ecology research. So I really take that to heart. My friends, when they come to my house, they always think it's so cold because I, I keep the thermostat low. You know, that's one small thing. I try to ride my bike as much as possible and Think about how can I make one trip instead of four trips. You know, it's those daily decisions and even the sorts of things that, that we buy. And some of these consumer choices can be really big, like Fred's goal of installing a field of solar panels near the oil well. And there's also some longer-term activity going on, a bunch of research projects focused on restoration. Restoring the Arctic grayling, uh, restoring... Uh, the Boardman River with the dam removal, restoring habitat to the Kirtland's warbler, and restoring forests to vacated oil pads. So we're approaching a vacated oil pad, and if we look over in that direction, you can see some jack pines that are starting to grow, distinguish them from the grass. And you can even see some of the red pines beyond it. The idea of trying to help restore whatever it is, in our case, a vacated oil pad, is an important piece of it. And I think that 
that idea of restoration ecology fits well at Asawa. You know, it falls within that understanding that God is about restorative work. And so in doing research work related to that, it causes or allows us to think These two strategies, daily consumer choices and the work of restoration, they help folks at Asable deal with the irony of their dependence on fossil fuels. First, they reduce the connection between their personal choices and the issue of fossil fuel consumption. Then, they step in to do restorative work in the fossil fuel industry's wake, an industry that has left the northern Michigan forest pockmarked with these rectangular wounds around the wells. This restorative work leaves that system intact, but helps Asable process their sticky situation, their dependence on the fossil fuel industry as beneficiaries of extraction. But in the short term, it's not always clear how much restoration is even possible in light of the deep impact the fossil fuel industry has on the land. There was just the assumption that it would naturally go back to forest land, and it hasn't. This tree is number 17, um, you know, and it's only a few inches off the ground. We planted this tree five years ago. That's one of the challenges. Sometimes I have to remind myself when, I, when we can't find them that I have a wonderful job outside, especially when the grass is really thick and you're looking for this thing that is only a few centimeters off the ground. Back at the camp, the students, professors, and staff still gather every week to sing praise songs and read Bible verses that affirm their religious commitment to caring for the earth. In a week or two, Fred will take them to the oil well and tell them how all this gets funded. Some will feel like the rug's been pulled out from under them. This Christian environmental camp they've been at all summer is directly contributing to climate change maybe the biggest environmental issue we're facing. Other students will think long and hard and decide it's worth it to pull that oil out of the ground. It means creating a place in the Michigan woods where they get to deepen their own care for creation. Like a lot of us, they feel stuck living in a world powered by oil. The structures around them can feel insurmountable. So they turn to the story that their faith tells them that they should focus on the choices right in front of them, what to do with the oil money, and how to live in spite of their sticky situation. Sacred and Profane is produced by the Religion, Race, and Democracy Lab at the University of Virginia. This piece was reported by Kevin Rose. Ashley Duffalo is our program manager. Our senior editor is Emily Gaddick. Kelly Jones is the lab's editor. Thanks to everyone at the Ausable Institute for Environmental Studies, including former director Cal DeWitt and founder Garrett Crow. 
Music in this episode comes from Blue Dot Sessions. You can find out more about this episode and our work at religionlab.virginia.edu or follow us on Twitter at The Religion Lab. And if you like the show, please rate and review us on the platform of your choice. It really makes a difference to new shows like ours.